But Georgia, for the most part, I mean, their schedule is very manageable. They match up really well against Kentucky. So I think if you're really looking at it and you're kind of going through the tea leaves of what Georgia's schedule is going to be, it's like, well, where's the trickiest spot? South Carolina early. Hello and welcome into the Wednesday, August 17th edition of Always College Football. We appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever it is you're getting the content, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel, we really appreciate you joining us. Hit us up in the comments. If you're on the YouTube channel, tell us where we can get better. We want to tailor the content to you. Mark Kubiak is here with me. Uh, we're at his house, so unbelievable hospitality here. He even offered me a drink, but I said, no, I'm going to resist. It's 8.30 a.m., so I'm going to hold off just a little bit here. It is a Wednesday, after all, so it's enjoyable to be with him here in Charlotte. It's great to be talking about college football. We have a great game plan in store today as we hit series. The series that we've been talking about all week has been teams that you don't want to play, giant killers, teams that are dangerous, scattered throughout the season. They might not necessarily have playoff aspirations themselves, but they could very much dismantle a possible playoff run. We'll have a great discussion. We'll go to a bunch of different spots too. A couple SEC teams, team in the Big Ten. We will get to some teams that I think have a chance to be very, very tricky to deal with throughout the regular season slate. So we'll hit some of that and we're going to talk a little Notre Dame. There's a new episode of Eli's Places coming out. So we'll talk a little Notre Dame on the heels of what Eli and Brady Quinn have to say. And then finally, we will give you our AP poll takeaway of the day. So without much further ado, let's get down to it. Let's talk about some of those giant killers. Let's talk about it. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All the teams that might not necessarily have playoff aspirations for themselves, they certainly are not a team that you'd want to mess with. You see them on the schedule, it's like, oh boy, be careful for that team. We already hit our first in the series just a couple days ago. Now we're going to dive into some of the teams that you need to be mindful of here in 2022. We're going to start with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. All right, I love this team this year. Should I? Maybe not. But I kind of think they're very dangerous. I think the Big Ten West in general is extremely gettable. And as a result, some of those teams that see Minnesota on the schedule, I'm talking to Michigan State, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, you name it, they're going to say, hey, man, we better be very careful with the Gophers. All right, here's 
part of the reason why I feel great about what this team might be. I think they quietly last year won nine games. I guess I had just forgotten that they won nine games last year. And yet PJ Flex coming to the podium after their ninth win saying, yeah, you know, I failed this team this year. Well, <laughs> what do you think the message was all offseason? That when you go nine and four too, you beat Wisconsin. Very, very impressive to win the Axe for the first time it seems like in a while. But you also had two losses to Bowling Green in Illinois. So this team was two inexcusable losses away from being 11-2. and two. Just saying, if you think that's not the key to dangerous, then we're not speaking the same language, all right? Like I said, the teams you need to be mindful of that have legit playoff hopes at Michigan State, that's on September 24th, at Penn State, that's on October 22nd. I don't know if Penn State's a playoff team. I don't think they are, but still, that's a... Pretty big game, pretty big matchup. Iowa on November 19th. And we all know if you've followed Minnesota, Iowa's been their Achilles heel. They've been their kryptonite, if you will. They've lost five in a row to the Hawkeyes. And then at Wisconsin, who you know is going to be all sorts of fired up to get back the axe there on November 26th. So great slate here for Minnesota in 2022. Here's the positive. They have the encore four. It's not my term. That's PJ Flex term. PJ Flex is referred to the guys that are using the additional year of eligibility, and he's referring to them as the encore four. Those are Tanner Morgan, all right, at quarterback, naturally. Chris Hoffman Bell at wide receiver. You have John Michael Schmitz, who's the center, all Big Ten performer, the one guy in the middle of the offensive line that you always feel really good about. And then you had Mo Ibrahim, who last year, of course, after bursting out of the gates against Ohio State, tore his Achilles there at the end of the game. Well, he's back now. So hopefully he's at 100% and we'll see the guy that we saw throughout the course of 2020 and 2019. And then hopefully there for the first game there, in 2021. So the Encore 4, that's the first piece of great news and a big positive, big reason why I think this Minnesota team is very dangerous. And we know the defense can flat out get after you. All right, they finished top 10 nationally in scoring a total defense last year. And I know they have to replace some key pieces, including their key tackler, but they've added a bunch of guys in the transfer portal. So you add some guys that are hungry, that are new to the scheme, but have played at a high level at other place. I feel good about what they're going to be on defense. I think they have a chance to go and continue what some would consider to be an elite effort from last year. Here's the negatives. They've been really inconsistent on offense. We know that. All right. If you look at who they were in 2019, hey, if they can be that offense, this team's crazy dangerous. The good news is the leader of that offense, Kirk Soraka, he's back. They decided to make a coordinator change this past offseason, and he was the architect of that 2019 offense. So hopefully they can rally the troops again on that side of the ball and get back to playing and scoring at a little bit more predictable pace. Because last year, 118th in the FBS in passing yardage, it's just not going to be good enough. And you think about too, what Tanner Morgan was, and he's better than the stat line. Can't be 10 and nine touchdown interception ratio. Not when you're that veteran and you have that supporting cast. So you got to feel pretty good about what they have a chance to be on offense this year, especially relative to last year, because there's only one way to go and that's up. You also got to figure that the revamped offensive line and defensive lines, both lines of scrimmage, relatively inexperienced. You replace four out of five up front offensively, and you have to replace six out of the top eight players on the defensive front in terms of snaps last year. So those are the two issues, but like we said, this is a dangerous team, and they would not be a team I'd want to mess with knowing their veteran presence at multiple spots and the possible firepower that we might see from them offensively.
Greg, is Tanner Morgan one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the country? I mean, look at his stat line in, in 2019. He was like 3,000 yards. He was, he was great. Kind of fell off the last two years. But can he come back and be really, really appreciated here? Oh, I think he has a chance to be. Here's the issue. One, 2019, you had an excellent wide receiver in Bateman, obviously, who's no longer there. Coordinator's back, so fingers crossed. He returns into the mix and looks a little bit more like that guy. The thing is, for Minnesota, is COVID year destroyed what was the momentum that was being created off of 2019. And they didn't have a chance to practice. They didn't have a chance to excel. They didn't have the chance to develop players. And last I checked, Minnesota, unless they're all of a sudden were bringing in five-star guys that were ready-made, ready to play, it was going to dip and cause them to be a little bit more inconsistent. So I think that carried over a little bit to their inconsistencies, especially on offense in 2021. So I have a feeling that Tanner Morgan, much like the rest of the team, these performances were partly due to the challenges that were that were brought with 2020 and their inability to consistently practice and work and hone their craft. All right, another legit team, I think as far as dangerous, dangerous, dangerous team, that'd be the South Carolina Gamecocks, all right? They have a ton of momentum too. We've talked already in the last couple of weeks about what they've done, what they've added, the momentum, the positivity surrounding the program feel great feel great about all that they've done in the offseason that they've parlayed from that bowl performance against North Carolina. However, we're going to talk about some of the negative reasons and why we might be just a little bit out in front of our skis. However, let's first talk about this possible spoiler game. So they go to Arkansas on the second week of the season. That's on September 10th. They have Georgia at home on the 17th. And we all know about South Carolina and Georgia and how weird that rivalry has been over the years. They have Texas A&M coming to their place on October 22nd. Tennessee's at their place on November 19th. And they go to Clemson on the final week of the regular season. That's obviously on November 26th. And think about last year too. They alternated wins and losses in their final eight games. Win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. So I don't know if that carries over into this year. Then every other week, you're going to get their A game. Who knows? I don't think that's the case, but thought it was interesting nonetheless. All right, here's the positives. They bring back a legit starting quarterback. Well, not bring back. They bring in a legit starting quarterback in Spencer Rattler. They started four different quarterbacks last year, and they won almost in spite of their quarterback play. Spencer Rattler, it's long been documented the challenges he had at the beginning of last season. But if you look back two years ago, the guy played as well as anybody at that position in college football. He was the face of the sport last year going into the season, and he didn't handle the pressure well. Well, now he's with a very positive coach in Shane Beamer. Feels like he gets a fresh start. I'd be surprised if he doesn't look more like the 2020 version of himself than the 2021 version of himself. They also bring back the entire offensive line. Now, they gave up 31 sacks, uh, and it was an offensive line that had only 600-yard rushing performances last year, but they're all back. So take it as you will. That can either be a positive or a negative because sometimes if a group struggles, turnover is not the worst thing. But either way, I still think having continuity up front is beneficial, especially knowing the defensive lines that they're likely to face there in the SEC. We know their offensive weapons are rock solid, whether it be Christian Beale-Smith, the transfer from Wake Forest, or Marshawn Lloyd, who was a five-star prospect coming out of high school, but tore his ACL a couple years ago and hasn't really quite been the back that we expected to be. Well, now another year removed from that injury, maybe he's even more confident in that knee and becomes the player he was always destined to become. 
at wide receiver. Don't forget, though, you have two good backs, but they also have three, four, maybe even five great wide receiver options. Josh Fan's legit. Jaheim Bell, I think, has a chance to be one of the biggest difference makers in college football. He's listed as a tight end, but he's really an H-back running back. He's kind of just one of those interesting puzzle pieces, not that dissimilar to Debo Samuel a couple years ago, a little bigger than Debo Samuel, a little bit more physically put together than Debo Samuel, maybe not quite the explosiveness, but the same type of versatility. That's what Jaheim Bell might bring to that offense. So I'm very optimistic about him becoming a household name by the time the season's over. And then Antoine Wells, too, transferred from James Madison. Everyone's raving about this guy. I don't know yet. I haven't watched enough of him yet, but I have feeling that he's got a chance to, I think, catch a lot of passes if he can develop the chemistry with Spencer Rattler. They were also, last year, what's the most important thing when pulling off major upsets? Creating turnovers. Last year, there were 24 turnovers forced by this defense. Interceptions and fumbles. That's a significant number. And if they can do that again, especially in some of their biggest games, they will remain extremely dangerous. Here's the negatives. I think they'll be much better offensively because they were really, really bad on that side of the ball last year. They were 13th in passing. We talked about the quarterback troubles. They were 11th in rushing. We talked about the struggles along the offensive line at times and the inconsistency they had there. And they were 13th in scoring in the SEC. That's a problem. That's a problem. 13th, 11th, 13th in passing, rushing, and scoring in the SEC. They got to be a lot better on that side of the ball if they're going to pull off some significant upsets. And yes, the negatives are very hard to find, so you almost have to really dig into what South Carolina could be. Yes, they won seven last year, and there's a ton of hype being built off that performance against North Carolina. Understandably so. I'm buying the hype too. I like South Carolina a lot this year. I think they could finish second, third, in the SEC East, if they pull off an upset or two, it could definitely happen. I don't think they can win the East just yet, but they could be a spoiler without question. But they're still pretty far removed from being super competitive against a legit football team. Yeah, they dominated an uninspired North Carolina in the bowl game. They beat up on a Florida team that had essentially shut it down at that point. But they still got blown out by Georgia. They got blown out by Texas A&M and they got blown out by Clemson, needed a comeback to beat Vandy. So yes, they beat bad teams, but they have yet to be able to put together a really significant performance against good teams. Obviously, when we're talking about being a giant killer, you got to be able to at least be competitive against the Giants, and that's something we have not seen from South Carolina just yet under Shane Beamer. Let me ask you about the Georgia game, because you brought it up earlier. Just because it happened in 2019, it seems like everybody keeps talking about that's the one game. You know, I get it. Williams Bryce is going to be rocking, but do you really think Kirby's going to let that top three Georgia team go in there unprepared? Because it just doesn't seem like it's going to be that close. Well, you think they're going to, why do you think they're going to be unprepared? That's what I'm I don't I mean, think they're I don't going think to be. I'm just like, everybody's circling that game as a possible upset. And I just don't think Kirby. Well, you look at Georgia's schedule, like what games really concern you? I mean, okay, Oregon in Atlanta week one, tough game. Florida, no one really knows what to make of Florida. Tennessee is going to be tough for sure. But Georgia, for the most part, I mean, their schedule is very manageable. They match up really well against Kentucky. So I think if you're really looking at it and you're kind of going through the tea leaves of what Georgia's schedule is going to be, it's like, well, where's the trickiest spot? South Carolina early especially if South Carolina is really good. And we don't know what South Carolina is yet. I think they'll be better. I don't know how much better, but I think they'll be better. 
So if South Carolina is really good and George is maybe still trying to figure out what they're doing on defense to replace so many starters, maybe their offense isn't clicking just yet, then maybe that is a tricky game. So I think given that rivalry, I've seen great Georgia teams lose to average South Carolina teams. I've seen it happen time and time again. Not over the course of like the last nine years I've been in this industry. I think it's happened once or twice where they didn't even belong on the same field together. And yet South Carolina somehow pulled off a miraculous upset. So look, I don't think that'll be the case this year. I think Georgia is a really good football team and they'll be prepared to play. But South Carolina, if their offense is as good as I think they have a chance to be, there's no secret that I think they can definitely play some spoilers. Let's talk about another team that Georgia is going to have to play this year. That's Florida. They have some spoiler games. Utah's week one. We know that. Utah's a top seven team according to the AP poll. They are in the Gainesville swamp there in week one of the season. They have Kentucky in week two. Kentucky's a team that's ranked in the top 20 right now. At Tennessee, that's in week four. All right, talk about a September to remember for the Florida Gators. LSU comes to your place on October 15th. Georgia's at your, uh, you guys are playing Georgia, obviously, in Jacksonville on the 29th of October. And then finally, you go to Texas A&M for the first time since Johnny Manziel was there on November 5th. Here's the positives for Florida. Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, it starts there on offense. All right. We know that there were some subpar performances from him. And if you look at his statistical productivity, most of his offensive production came in the first couple of games of the year against USF and FAU. So let's not focus so much on the stats. Because if you want to get bogged down in the stats, yes, he stat padded against subpar teams. But if you get down to the actual physical skill set, this guy has unbelievable tools. And if Billy Napier can somehow figure out a way to not put too much on his shoulders, but just enough to where he could shoulder the load and get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit more confident and a little bit better, then we could definitely find a spot where this guy could hit his groove and could become a phenomenon. He has that type of skill set. But like I said, doing it against top quality competition as opposed to USF and FAU, two very different things. He's got to take the next step for them to become a legit giant killer, but I think he can. They also have some great weapons that he's going to be able to rely on. Naquan Wright at running backs, a, a really talented dynamo. Just get him the ball and see what he does with it. He can do a ton of things in space and has a great burst. Along with Montreal Johnson, who's a transfer from Louisiana, got a ton of touches, understands the offense, knows what Billy Napier wants out of his running backs. Justin Shorter, been there a long time, has a big body, big catch radius. Hopefully, he can take the next step. Hopefully, he won't need to because if Anthony Richardson gets a little bit more accurate, then big, those big old rangy wide receivers won't have to use their length as much, and he can hit them in stride, and they can use their burst. Shorter's not the fastest guy in the world, but does have good length. You have Xavier Henderson, Trent Rudimore, Keon Zipper at tight end. These are veteran pieces that have played a lot of football. So if those guys could get on the same page with Anthony Richardson, they could score some points offensively, which they did not do very consistently last year. The negatives for Florida this year, the offensive line is still considered, I think, uh, a little bit of an issue. Look, they've put up good numbers in the run game, but it's been in some cases by smoke and mirrors. I want to see a physical point of attack push from Florida for the first time I've seen in a while. Like they've used gap schemes, they've done pulls, they've done misdirection, they've done counters, they've done all that stuff really well in the Dan Mullen era. But Billy Napier wants his offensive line to go flat back and just knock someone off the ball. 
Well, we haven't seen a Florida offensive line do that in quite a while. Now, they've added the transfer piece portal. Uh, they've done a couple the transfer piece via the portal. They've done a couple things along the offensive line that should kind of figure out who goes where, who fits together where. Hopefully, that group will be more physical here in 2022. And the defense is still, I think, a fairly, fairly large question mark. Yeah, they were awful in 2020. But a lot of defenses were in 2020. It is what it is. But they took a couple strides in 2021. They have decent pieces. But when I think Florida, I think elite defense. Well, I have not seen elite defense being played by the Gators in quite some time. Brenton Cox has to be a dominant edge presence there at the end of the line of scrimmage. Gervon Dexter, we've been waiting on him for a couple years now. He needs to be that disruptive man-child in the middle of that defense that he's always been capable of becoming. And then Ventrell Miller there in the second level, very, very important. He's got to be very sure tackler. He's a diagnose, needs to identify, and needs to be able to play sideline to sideline because he is a key piece in the middle of this defense that's played a lot of football and will, I think, need to be steady. Doesn't have to be a superstar, but he has to be steady if this defense is expected to take that next step. So couple that with the defense, and they got to grow a lot in the secondary too. This Florida secondary is not what it once was. Hopefully the pass rush can alleviate some of the concerns you have in the secondary because against some of the teams they're going to face, a la Tennessee, for example, against maybe South Carolina, for example, they are going to see some quality passing attacks. And if they don't improve in the back end, they could be in for a long year defensively. All right, moving on. Just out west to UCLA. as a team that did a great job last year, and they could have very easily won nine games if not for that COVID outbreak. But it felt like for the first time in a while, there was incremental improvement for Chip Kelly that really turned into legitimate results last year. Now, can they take the next step and become a championship contender? Well, by winning these games, they do have a chance to be basically potentially pull it off. They have Utah coming to their place. That will be on October 8th at Oregon on October 22nd. And then USC will come into the Rose Bowl there in such a great rivalry. I'd love that game. That'll be on the 19th of November. So you look at the positives for UCLA. Veteran quarterback Dorian Topstrovs had back for a fifth year. He's progressively improved, it feels like, in each of the last couple of years to the point last year where he was very solid at times throwing the football. Now, still the occasional big miss, but for the most part, I thought he advanced and was more willing to hang in there as a passer, not quite as reliant on using his legs, extending plays, buying time, etc. So I thought he made a sizable jump there in his Gosh, I think his fourth year as a starting quarterback, but he should be better here in year number five. His backfield mate in Zach Charbonnet is a stud. Guy gets downhill. He's big body, bruiser, decisive runner, one cut runner that can dance if he needs to, but it's not really who he is. He wants to run through contact and he's going to make you feel it at 220 pounds. He went for almost 1,150 yards last year, had a bunch of touchdowns, 13 to be exact, and should be more of a factor in the passing game, assuming that passing game continues to improve. He had 24 receptions last year. I wouldn't be shocked if that number eclipsed 30, 35, maybe, even depending on what his usage looks like, could even get into the 40s. He has that type of potential, I think, in contributing. And you think about the offensive line, this group remains a strength, even though they've had some turnover, it remains a strength because of the scheme. Chip Kelly is going to allow 
for this group to be multiple and do a bunch of different things. For instance, sometimes they'll cut the offensive line in half. One side will be running one play. The other side will be running a completely different play. It is mind-blowing. So his scheme will help the offensive line, but they have to be physical. I expect that they will be because that is the standard for UCLA. The negatives. Who's going to step up at wide receiver? Casimir Allen be moved around and should be probably the the go-to guy in the passing game. Jake Bobo transfers over from Duke and has a chance to maybe become the number one option. If assuming that six foot five frame of his is versatile enough to be able to move inside and out because they're going to use and rely an awful lot on play action. So he'll get some free releases and hopefully he can find a favorable matchup or two because of the dominant run game that UCLA is likely to possess that coupled with the defensive coordinator that there is some turnover there. Now, defense has not been a huge issue for UCLA. Jerry Azanero decided to resign. Well, now they return only two full-time starters. And I think they're really going to miss Quantrez Knight because he was a, a centerpiece there in the back end of that defense that will not be easily replaced. Now, they've added some pieces in the portal, but there are some serious question marks at all three levels defensively for the new defensive staff. Like I said, it felt like UCLA took the necessary strides last year to finally cash in on what's felt like progress. But now going from good team to great team is a pretty significant jump. They have the pieces to do it, but right now I'd still just qualify them as a very dangerous team, a team you wouldn't want to face because right now, I think if you have a bad day in regards to your run fits defensively, they will chop you up. So UCLA remains dangerous, but yet not quite to the point where I think they can really challenge in the Pac-12. What do the fans want from Chip Kelly? I mean, we're going into year five. When are they going to start really competing for conference championships and, and, you know, playoff consideration? I mean, playoffs is, I mean, there's only four teams to get to the playoffs. So I don't define success as playoff bound. But it's been pretty obvious if you look at Chip Kelly's tenure, they've gotten a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And then the COVID year was weird. And then they got a little bit better that year. And then they looked good at the beginning of last season. I mean, this team was playing good football last year. So I am very optimistic that they could be even better this year. And there's reason to believe that they could be. It's just at this point, Utah and Oregon feel like they're quite a ways ahead of everybody else. Look, it's been documented that UCLA and their staff has a little bit of a different approach when it comes to the recruiting trail, which is perfectly fine, but they are not going to recruit with the same level of intensity as that of Dan Lanning at Oregon or USC with Lincoln Riley. So now that SC's jump started the engine, will that force UCLA to kind of reassess how they want to do things on the recruiting trail? Because right now their personnel is good, but it's not playoff caliber. So now Chip can Chip can alleviate the gap that exists between them and playoff caliber talent. There's no doubt because of his scheme and how thoughtful he is. And I think he's just an, an amazing innovator. But it will be interesting, I think, if for whatever reason they level off here at some point in the next couple of years and they hover around eight wins, then do people start to get a little bit restless, assuming SC is just on a upward trajectory climb right into playoff contention, that I think will be interesting. The good news is for Chip is SC's been down. It doesn't feel like they're going to be down for long. So if they get going, it might force them to get going, which could lead to a little bit of a different approach 
uh, with how they're viewed and how his tenure is assessed. All right, let's put a bow on it with the teams that could be giant killers this year with Appalachian State. They have two massive games against North Carolina in week one. That's obviously going to be one of the biggest, craziest games there in Boone, in, in Boone, North Carolina. They do not like the Tar Heels. All right. Let me just tell you, someone that lived in the Charlotte area for a long time, they do not like the North Carolina Tar Heels. They f- think that they're tea sipping and, you know, they, they think that this is like a, they think they're going to be going and, you know, eating wine and cheese before the game. Whereas in Boone, they are all about ball and like, we're going to create a chaotic environment. We're going to go and we're going to dominate you. And then we're going to go into the town and party like App State's awesome. There's no love lost between them and North Carolina. All right. North Carolina comes to their place in week one. Week two, they go to College Station to play against another top team in Texas A&M. Here's the positives. You return Chase Bryce. And even though I don't think he's a super elite player, I think he's solid and did show some promise last year. And their run game is legit. Nate Noel and Cameron Peoples are a fantastic one-two punch at running back. They combined for over 2,000 yards and 18 touchdowns last year. And they also bring back four out of five along the offensive line. You look at this offense, too. This is an identity offense. Look, they might not always have great NFL personnel along the offensive line. They seldom do. But this scheme, the way they can get off tackle and the way they'll cut you and the way they'll... I don't want to say they're dirty. I'm not going to say that. But they flirt with it. They play right up to the whistle and occasionally just the littlest bit beyond the whistle. And that becomes very frustrating for opposing teams. App State is one of those games you better bring your lunch pail because they are going to fight you down in, down out throughout the course of a 60-minute ball game. They also have a legit corner in Steven Jones. So if he can sit there, he's back for his super senior year, if he can sit there and neutralize your best weapon at wide receiver, that could create a long day for opposing offense. The guy had five picks last year, so he is the real deal. Here's the negatives. They have to replace three veteran wide receivers from a year ago. Will they be able to, in a team that doesn't rely that much on their passing game, losing veterans at wide receiver is not the easiest thing to overcome. They also replaced five of their top six tacklers from a year ago. There's really just a ton of questions on the defense side of the football. So App State, while dangerous, they're one of those teams that you absolutely do not want to play. Everybody knows this, dating all the way back to when they beat Michigan in the big house. App State is the worst possible team that you can play because you don't get any credit for beating them. All you do is get reminded forever that you lost to them. So difficult team to play, a team that I love, I've always loved. They're physical. They have a great identity. They play hard. They create an amazing environment there in Boone. So I love going to and covering games and covering this team. But my goodness, having them on the schedule would not be something I would be excited about. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now you see those giant killers out there. Got to be careful knowing what some of those teams are capable of. All right, AP poll takeaway of the day. I actually have a bonus takeaway for you. It has been since 2004, every single national champion was preseason ranked in the top seven. So you know who you are. If you're ranked in the top seven, they've all won the national championship since 2004. There were two exceptions. That was Auburn in 2010, and that was Florida State in 2013. So two exceptions, but in an 18-year run, 16 out of 18 national champions all ranked either one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven pretty good news if you're a fan of, say, the Fighting Irish. Speaking of the Fighting Irish, they haven't won a national championship in my lifetime. Will they be able to get back to it? We'll find out, but maybe there's something about their stadium that actually has made it more difficult to win championships. Here's from episode two of Eli's Places. Can you explain to a guy that's not a Notre Dame guy just about touchdown Jesus, about fair catch Corby. I mean, are there some other ones? <laughs> there are some other ones. Are, so we, we, other we've ones? got a first down Moses. Okay. You talked about fair catch Corby, touchdown Jesus. We obviously have a lot of statues. I thought you could see touchdown Jesus from the stadium. You not know? You used to be able oh, to, but back before when they before they built the second ring, you used to be able to look anywhere on the stadium. You'd see touchdown Jesus holding its arms up. But then with the renovation, now you can only see it really from that south end zone. And ironically enough, Notre Dame hasn't won a national championship since we did the renovation in the second level. So you're about to tear it back down. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we, we find a way of configuring this thing where we build so everyone can see it from the sides. But we keep this end and this end a little bit lower, but we just build up from there, right? It sounds, sounds cheap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great stuff from Brady Quinn and Eli there as they were discussing whether or not the obstructed view of touchdown Jesus has potentially impacted the actual product on the field. I always thought that you had to win a national championship, not because of what surrounded your stadium or your stadium yourself, but usually because of the players and the execution on the field, but maybe not. Maybe it's something more there at Notre Dame. And maybe if they just tear down that second level, they'll get back to winning championships. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) Obviously that debuts today on ESPN plus episode two of Eli's places. Uh, I told you I was going to give you a bonus nugget from the AP poll takeaway of the day. We referenced the fact that Notre Dame is ranked in the top five. They're one of seven teams based on historical precedent that will win a national championship this year, that could win a national championship this year. Another team is Texas A&M. And Texas A&M is sitting at number six. They are the highest ranked team in 50 years. Highest ranked team in the preseason in 50 years. Think about that. 50 years. Think about how long that is. That started, that finished last season unranked. So they're up to number six, finished last season unranked. The last time we saw a team that was ranked this high after being unranked in the final poll of the previous season was Ohio State in 1971. They were ranked number three. In 1972. So AM in rarefied air. What does that tell me? It means that AM is joining the ranks of the elite. When it talks about branding, talk about the personnel, talk about the roster, the recruitment. AM 
they had to prove it. it took a couple years but now based on their roster they're getting credibility even though last year's results wouldn't necessarily lead you to believe they would be a top 6 team hey it's a wonderful thing when you bring in top tier recruiting classes and you've been able to create a more consistent product granted 8 and 4 not what they're looking for if they go 8 and 4 again this year it's going to get ugly there in college station so hopefully better results for the Aggies here in 2022. For all of us here at Always College Football, we appreciate you being with us. It's been a blast talking about it today, talking about those giant killers, getting into Eli's places as well. So we look forward to doing it again tomorrow. We'll be back. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever it is you're consuming the content. Hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media, Instagram and Twitter. That's always CFB. Like I said, for all of us here at Always College Football, He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.